Looking at Psalm 139, there are 150 psalms. We're going to jump towards the end, and uh, we'll start with uh, looking at Psalm 139. Um, Again, my name is Bill Kernitz, and uh, my wife Gail, um, Gail and I, um, we've been married now for 41 years. We'll celebrate our 42nd whenever. 42nd anniversary this July 11th. So um, we moved down to Cincinnati area from Chicago um, in 2007. And, uh, and uh, it's, been, um, it's just been a great journey for us. I want to share a little bit about that. Um, we have two kids. One, uh, our oldest son is named Harry. He's in Korea. He has two children. And uh, our daughter, Elle, lives in Colorado, and she has one child. And so we're very blessed. Um, I share also, um, I'm a recovering workaholic. Um, the early days of my career, um, I had made work number one in my life. My heart, if you opened it up, had my work on it. And uh, everything was secondary to that. Um, my marriage, my parenting, my own health, everything was sacrificed to this um, number one in my life, which was work. And um, I, had, I, I was hard-headed about it. Um, but the Lord got my attention in 1993. Uh, Gail had given me a Bible for Christmas that year, and it was a dark night of the soul for me in, in the, my work situation. And uh, while reading Psalm 32, I found the light. Uh, I found that the Lord revealed the gospel to me, that, that he invited me to say yes, and I did. And at that moment, while it was a choice on my part, uh, simultaneously, God was doing the work to say yes in my heart, and he became number one in my heart and in my life. And uh, that made a huge difference in, in many ways um, for us. It's been a great journey along the way, but I have a special, special spot in my heart for the Psalms because that's where it all began for me. And uh, there's just great, um, there's great wisdom here for us. Why so much about me? Well, uh, Psalm 139, uh, a good subtitle for it would be Knowing and Being Known. Knowing and Being Known. And so, um, this is really the heart of what a relationship looks like. Knowing and being known. And so I want to call our attention to, to the, the and of this statement, okay? Uh, and uh, there's a lot of ands in this psalm and in the Bible that I want to call out. And it's really the ands that um, release the power of God's word in our life. We have a lot of independent truths that we can find. And when we connect them with these ands, we see what God is really doing. So... Again, I emphasize the and. Kids, see if you can draw this symbol. This is the and, okay? It's called an ampersand, and it literally means and. It's a symbol we use, shorthand, for the word and. It's not an easy thing to draw. It's a little squiggly, uh, but uh, 
we, 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 uh, we encourage you to follow along and when you are finished the message today, you can come up and show um, one of the leaders here um, what you learned and show them that your ampersand sign and uh, you get a prize. <laughs> so we're gonna look for the ands, the power of the and. Um, the Psalms, again, there's 150 of them, about half of them were written by King David. Um, king David was God's chosen king for God's chosen people. So King David had a very special relationship with God, and he was a musician, he was a man of war, familiar with bloody battle, um, but God calls him a man after God's own heart. So this psalm we'll be looking at, 139, written by David, has a lot to say about God, um, and actually a lot to say about us. Um, he had the revelation that God's Messiah was going to come through his line and sit on his throne forever. So he had a real insight about Messiah, about Jesus, that um, makes these Psalms come alive. They're about Jesus. And so um, we'll pay attention to what David has to say. David was a man. He was not a perfect man. He, he sinned. Um, and, and yet he has divine revelation for us. And so one of our first ands I want to have for us to ponder and embrace is that this psalm, and, and really all of scripture, is fully human. Okay, they were written, these are books written by humans for humans to understand, written in human language uh, from human circumstances. We can, we can relate to what is being said here, but it is fully divine. These words are fully what God intends for us to know about him and about us and especially about Jesus. So this should make your head hurt a little bit. These ampersands kind of just, they're like, wait, isn't it like 80-20 human divine or whatever? No, it's... 100, 100, fully human, fully divine. And so we, we are forced to take a lot of these ands by faith just because they, they are too wonderful and too lofty for us to fully, fully grasp. Um, 2 Timothy 3.16 points out that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So every word fully divine, but in language that we can understand. Let's dive in to Psalm 139. There are chunks here that we're going to take it one chunk at a time. And in the first one here is, um, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. 
we could just spend the whole morning here, and I wish we chose to do that. We're going to cover the whole psalm. Um, but if you look at these first four verses, they really speak of God's knowledge of us. Like, there is nothing about you that he doesn't know. And that's fortunately true really only about God, okay? Because at first thought, that's a little unsettling. Like, everything? Yeah, you are literally an open book to him. And uh, he knows you. And we're going to find that that's a good thing. Okay, uh, if, that, if, that, if that's jarring, um, let it jar you for a moment. Um, starting in verse 5, it's a slightly different context here. It says, you hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. So, first four verses, you know me, you know me, you know me, you know me. And then it pivots to, and you, you protect me. You put a hedge around me. You're a fortress. I am safe with you. It's an expression of his love. He does this because he loves us. He protects us. And he lays his hand upon us. Um, His hand is used many times in scripture in many different ways. And... um, But for sure, it is used often to talk about his discipline. His hand can be a sign of his discipline. And we read that the father disciplines the ones he loves. Um, I I talked about Psalm 32. For me, this is where I, I came to my faith in Christ is in Psalm 32, the first five verses. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That heavy hand upon me was his way of convicting me of my sin, of my not having him as number one in my heart. I had no strength. I was groaning. I was not on the right path. The right path is with him, is trusting him. He knew my sin But it was until I willingly trusted him with it and confessed it to him that he forgave the guilt of it through Christ. So another and. God's love protects and disciplines. And we will find that that's good. We like it doesn't sound good. Discipline never feels good, but we need it, and it's an expression of God's love. And this first chunk of of Psalm one thirty nine ends with this statement: "Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain." 
what knowledge is that? It's this, this says that God knows you and loves you. And I'll let that sink in there for a little bit because we know ourselves and how unlovable we can be. And God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he loves us. It's an amazing truth. In fact, I would rephrase it. God really loves you, really knows you. And God really loves you. So um, how, how does he do that? Well, we'll find out a little bit more. But I want to share from Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Jesus came to be the ultimate high priest. And here it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Fully human. He experienced full humanity, yet he did not sin. Fully divine. Fully divine. Jesus is fully human, fully divine. Another one of those ands. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can approach God with confidence because he knows us and he loves us. That's a huge and. How much does he love us? Romans 8 says it better than, than almost any. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We enter into this love relationship through Christ our Lord, putting our trust in him. So we talk about this relationship with God. He knows us and he loves us. And we might say we love God, but do, do we know him? This relationship is a two-way street. We are called to know him. He gave us his word that we would know him. The old newlywed game was a show back a long time ago where couples who had just gotten married uh, try to answer questions about the other person to see how much they actually know about each other. And, and the show was always ended up with couples saying, I can't believe you didn't know that about me. How, how could you even love me? You don't even know me, you know? And there's a reality that we need to know who it is we love. And so, how can we get to know God more? How can we get to love God more? What can we do? Um, I've got five things spread out here. There's many ways, many things you can do, but I will tell you that I believe firmly that time in the word is your best way of finding out about God. If you want to get to know God, read Psalm 139. He's all, we've already learned that he knows all about us. That's something about him that's incredible. Um, and there's so much more. Time in the Word. Seeking Him first in your time of the Word, and you will get to know Him. Prayer. 
which is both speaking to God, what's in your heart and on your mind, and listening by his spirit. He will, he will speak to you. Active church membership is another way to get to know God. You're here on Sunday, and we're singing together. Um, we sang, open the eyes of our, our hearts, Lord. You know, we want to see you. We want to know you. We join together seeking him, and we find him here on a Sunday morning. And dot, 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 um, other ways to connect with people of this church. Um, there are life groups, other ways to be connected with people. Introduce yourself, have people over for a meal. Um, we grow in our knowledge of God and ourselves as we engage with his people. And also even telling others about him. We're called to make him known uh, to the world. Not everyone knows the truth about God. Many don't even believe that God even exists at this point. Um, so how do you do that? Well, I mean, minimally you can share your story. What's your story about your faith in God? You will get to know him as you start telling others about him. He will, he will be right there with you, revealing his ways. And look for the ands. How do you know God through these great ands? He knows you and he loves you. It's both. And uh, we get to know him through that. The next chunk. So the first one is his omniscience, his all-knowingness. Here we'll talk a little bit about his omnipresence. So you're learning complicated words about God today. So we're going to walk out of here knowing him better uh, by his word. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. He is omnipresent. He is present um, wherever you are. You may feel like he is distant. And he's not. He is present. Um, the and that is expressed here in this, this part of the passage is that God is present in the light. I think we all get that. And God is present in the darkness. Um, we can be in some dark places and feel pretty far from God. Um, I, I'll use one illustration here that, that blows my mind. Uh, World War II was about the darkest time in human history as, as, as any. Um, and there was a family, uh, the Ten Booms, in, in the Netherlands who hid Jews in their home during the Nazi occupation. They were getting rounded up and sent to concentration camps. And they, they were a Christian family, devoted and obedient, and they, they hid Christians. There's a book about it called The Hiding Place. I highly recommend it to you. Um, and their neighbors turned them in. 
and they went to the concentration camp themselves for hiding the Jews. And so Corey and her sister Betsy um, were in this, this horrible, dark concentration camp. And they were placed in a dorm that just had straw on the floor for their beds. And it was completely infested with fleas. And, 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 and Betsy was telling Corey, we are to be thankful, you know, in, in all circumstances. And, and Corey was like, not this one. There's just no way. The fleas are too much for me to bear. And, and then, but she prayed and persevered with this. And it, she found that the fleas were so repulsive and abhorrent that they actually kept the Nazi guards out of the barracks. They didn't even want to come in. So they were kind of protected from the torment by the fleas. In fact, they, they had so much privacy in there that they held Bible studies in the concentration camp because of the fleas. So Corey Ten Boom says, thank God for the fleas. Her account is amazing. There's actually audio of her voice um, preaching in a church after all of this. Um, and I highly, I highly commend the book, The Hiding Place, as well as uh, just seeking into this, this story more. I know I'm not there yet. This shows a, a woman of faith and trust in God. Um, and I want to I wanna be there. I want to thank God for the fleas too, uh, even in the dark place. I, I shared with you that um, I'm a recovering workaholic. Uh, there were days uh, in my early days of my career where uh, I would be at home with my family for dinner. Uh, not all the time because I worked late a lot. But I could be home at night at the table with my wife and kids and present physically but not present mentally. Literally focused on my work stressed out about my work, um, and just absent. That's not me, right? All right. Um, so um, the same can be true about our presence with the Lord. He is present. He is in the dark place. But are we? Are we present with God? How can we cultivate this presence with God? Copy and paste is a wonderful thing. Uh, how about time in the word? We can find that we enter into his presence as we open his word and seek his wisdom for us. In prayer, we can enter into his presence, speaking and listening. We enter into his presence here on Sunday morning. Wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he is there. He is there. And uh, we can enter into his presence if we're intentional. We want to be intentionally entering his presence. You start talking to other people about God, you will experience his presence. He will lift you up and give you words. And you can find his presence in the great ands of scripture that we're looking at here.
next chunk of scripture here is, so we had his omniscience and his omnipresence. And here we're going to get a sense of his omnipotence, his power. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. And when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This speaks at least of his power to create and that what he does is, is wonderful. Um, I go all the way back to the first chapter of, of the Bible, the, the creation account in Genesis 1, and it says, he did this on the first day, and it was good. And he did this, and it was good. What God does is good and wonderful. Um, and he made you. We sang, you are who you say I am. Well, he says he made you, and he made you fearfully and wonderfully. This is a huge and here. What is this fearfully made? It speaks of the care and attention to detail that he took in putting you together. Like, you were made carefully. You were not slapped together. Um, you're not a mistake. You were made fearfully and wonderfully. Wonderfully. A delight to him and quite frankly, to the world. Although the world doesn't see it that way. And we might not even see ourselves this way. Do you feel fearfully and wonderfully made? Are you happy? Are you comfortable in your own skin? Um, this is a real dilemma today. People are unhappy with how they are. Um, they feel they're flawed, and they wish they were something different. And it's a crisis. It's a mental health crisis. Um, and this speaks to that. This should grant us a bit of peace that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is an and that frees us from the doubt and the self-loathing that comes into our lives. Um, you know, there's an account in, in John 9 where the disciples and Jesus encounter a man who was born blind. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We, 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 we know people are born blind. People are born with all kinds of disabilities. 
um, and disadvantages, things that we would consider, um, you know, unfortunate. And, and it's true. Um, but the reality is here that you are made fearfully and wonderfully to glorify God with your body. Like, you are perfectly made to glorify God with your body. Even if you're blind or disabled in some way, um, you are perfectly made to glorify God there. And, and many things can be addressed medically. There's good reasons. If there's a way to uh, address a, a, a disability or a cosmetic feature that um, you know, can be fixed by, by medicine, great. God can be gloried in that. And he is. We can love ourselves because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we can love others because they are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God knows them and loves them too. One of the great quotes from A.W. Tozer, an author that I, I think knew a lot, who knew God well. Um, he opens up his book, uh, Knowledge of the Holy, with this statement. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about God. We need to think rightly about God. This is the, the key to abundant life. The disciples didn't get it. They were like, oh, yeah, God, you know, they said somebody sinned, so kids born blind. Um, Jesus is saying, God's not like that. It's different. Read his word. Get to know him. He made this person fearfully and wonderfully that God could be glorified in his body. What we think about God, and we think he's acts like a human, like we would act, we are going to act poorly. We're going to make bad decisions, and we're going to make, um, make a mess of things. We must think rightly about God, and we do that. How do we, how do we grow in our ability to think rightly about God and ourselves? It's important that we understand that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that we accept that truth. How, how can we grow in this? How about this? Time in the Word. Um, we learn how God works, what He does by reading about Him. And ourselves. We learn about ourselves throughout Scripture. Prayer active church membership, telling others about God, and embracing the ands. The ands are ultimately important here. Um, to me, to think rightly about God is, is to say he is this and this. We'll uncover several of the great ands that, that just create tension in our heart and mind. Like, how can he be fully human, fully divine when we speak of Christ? Um, we receive it by faith. The ands come alive by a faith.
The psalm kind of pivots now. We've looked at three attributes of God, his omniscience, his omnipresence, and his omnipotence. Um, and now it's kind of more pivots to us. What's going on in our heart and mind? What's going on in David's mind here? How precious to me are your thoughts, God? How vast is the sum of them? They would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This one is interesting to me because it talks about how precious God's word is to him. We talk about, we talked earlier about the delight, delighting in his word in Psalm 1. And you can't just fake delight. Delight is you either delight in this or you don't. Um, not everybody wanted to go to the Taylor Swift concert this weekend. A lot of people did. Delight just, it varies um, in what we delight in. But, and, and our delight in the God's word is something that I really believe is a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. If you delight in God's word, that's a good sign that you're on the right path and that God is with you. His Holy Spirit is revealing the truth of his word to you, and it is a delight. Um, when I was in my workaholic stage, um, I knew God's word well. I was an active church-going person um, that really thought I was a Christian, um, and I knew his word, but it was not a delight to me. It was meh. I was like, yeah, look at that. There's the Bible. Um, when I read Psalm 32 that day and confessed my sin to the Lord, really for the first time, the Spirit of God opened my eyes to his word, and it became a delight to me, like all of it. I started just reading it and seeing many incredible things. And I don't understand it all. Um, that was about 30 years ago now. And uh, I've been reading it very regularly ever since. And I'm still learning. I learned a lot this, these last couple weeks as I got ready for this, just thinking about how these all connect, these ands, really started popping out at me in a fresh way. So I just say, for the person pursuing God, it's both knowing and delighting in his word, even when it's confounding. There's a, there's a way to delight in it. How, how, do, we, how do we do that? Here's, here's a passage um, that commends a root for us. Um, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, Paul, or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What you put in is what's going to come out. Um, where do you find lovely, 
excellent, praiseworthy things. Um, you know, you find it in the Word of God. Okay, um, you don't find it often on TikTok or really hardly anywhere on the internet. There are nuggets of biblical truth out there, and, uh, but you have to be very wise and discerning when you're looking there. We want to get our content from the source, from God. Um, and just to, um, since we're talking about the word, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask someone, just throw out a number, someone call out a number between one and 176. 175? Okay. Turn to Psalm 119. We're just going to stay in the Psalms here. And I am going to read one, verse 170, 176 verses in this Psalm. And verse 175 says, Let me let me live that I may praise you, and may your laws sustain me. Here's a verse about God's laws, his word, sustaining. You go back one verse, and it just says, I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. So I just throw out, Psalm 119 is this psalm all about delighting in God's word and it, we don't always do it but we, we need to come back to it so how do we grow in delighting in it we spend time in it it comes together if we find a hard passage we we dig in we pray about it we ask others on Sunday when we meet them hey what do you think about this verse this is kind of hard for me to grasp um, even telling others about your story will give you a delight in God's word and then embracing the ands by faith this next part of the psalm is is uh, it's kind of hard to read I'll just read it and, and we'll talk about it if only you God would slay the wicked Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. David is venting here, clearly. Um, he's sharing his heart. And... He might be sharing your heart too. Um, I think today is pretty easy to turn on the TV or listen to the radio and listen to the news and start hating people. Like what's happening, you just hear it and the more you simmer in it, um, these, these kind of words start coming to us. God, slay these people. Um, and there's a righteousness in this. We're saying, God, be just. Be just. Execute your justice, Lord. This kind of is Jonah's prayer for the Ninevites. God, slay the Ninevites. 
Um, and we should be willing and open with God to share our heart um, with God and what we're feeling, even when it's not pretty. Just a couple of passages. Well, the, the and here that Jonah actually knew, but that he did not delight in, okay, was that God is, in fact, just. And God is, in fact, merciful. Again, that hurts the human mind a little bit to think about that. Is it possible to be both? And he is, and the answer is in Christ, perfect justice against sin was meted out. And mercy is now available in Christ where the justice was served. So yes, this and is possible in Christ alone. The only possible way to be just and merciful is through Christ. But we have these emotions. Ephesians 6, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Your anger is right. Anger against injustice. We should be angry against injustice. But it leads to sin so quickly. It, it gives a foothold to the devil so quickly. And we go off on a crusade getting ahead of God, who may be wanting to show mercy, like he did with the Ninevites. Don't let it go down. It's okay to be angry. Take it to the Lord. Jesus, in fact, says in Matthew 5, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on, on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You were the enemy of God, okay? Before you received Christ and his forgiveness, you were just like the enemies that you're sort of hating here in these passages. And, and, and God chose to be merciful to you and he may choose to be merciful to these folks. So um, this is a command, love your enemies. David's psalm is an expression, it's more of a confession. I hate these people. It's not a command, it's just a, it's a truth about David. He hated these people. So how can we think rightly about the enemies of God and our own enemies? Are we to, are we to hate them? Are we to love them? Jesus said to love our enemies. But the truth is, if we're really honest and God knows us perfectly, he'll see what's in our heart. And it will often be hate for what's going on, hate of the enemies. Um, we, hate, we, we spend time in the word. We, we confess our sin while we're reading. We seek wisdom about the trials that are going on, the divisions in the world, the hate. You know the list. Um, these things will help us think rightly about others. And this will be a challenge. This is, the, this is another of the big challenges today is there are two sides 
and the other side is just wrong. Um, and we can rise above that in Christ in love. I love the way the psalm ends. I read this, this verse often, okay? And it's an interesting reflection of uh, an echo of the beginning of the psalm. He says here, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there, any, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. His prayer for his enemies to be, or for God's enemies to be slain is followed up with this, like, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Search me. Is there something wrong in that? I submit to your authority, God. He knows, I mean, David wrote this, this psalm. He knows God has already searched him. And here he's saying, keep doing what you're doing. I accept your authority. This is good for me. Your, your protection and your discipline. See if there's anything in here that I just need to confess and repent of. He will answer this prayer. Um, and it's okay. We have things that we continually find out that we just need to, we just need to repent of. And, and, um, and he will lead us in this way, this everlasting way. That's the walk. It's trusting and obeying. This is a huge and. Trusting and obeying. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. So how can we grow in our trust of God? This is hard. We make decisions every day that are hard, and we're like, can, do we really trust God? Um, and we can. We grow in our trust of God as we see him do things in our lives. We can lay a little stone in the backyard, an Ebenezer stone, a reminder of what he's already done. Um, and we can continue to trust in him. Time in his word, prayer. We seek to grow in our trust and obedience to God. Just a couple of closing ands that I think are, are helpful. As we think about the word, in, think of the whole Bible, and it's like, this is, this is so complicated and so hard for me to get my head around. Um, one of the people came to Jesus and said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And... The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The, all the law and all the prophets hang on an and. Love God. Love your neighbor. The and connects these two. You literally cannot do one without doing the other. You cannot say, hey, I love God, but I don't love my neighbor. How do you say you love God when he calls us to do this? 
your love of God hangs with your love of your neighbor. And I would suggest, you, you might say, well, I love my neighbor. I don't love God, but I love my neighbor. God is love. You don't know love apart from God. What you're doing with your neighbor if you don't love God is, is not exactly love. It, it's what the world calls love, but that's not what God calls love. And God's love is incredible. It's, it's, he's the author of it. The gospel message hangs on an end. The gospel is incomplete if it doesn't include the statement of his death for our sin and his resurrection for our eternal life. That is the gospel message. It's rooted in an and. His identity with us is rooted in an and. He is our Lord and Savior. And to really make your head hurt and just give you something to chew on on the way home, um, one of the, the biggest ones of all is God is all-powerful, he is able, and he is good. And that's the one that confounds everybody. Well, if he's good, why does he let this happen? Or if he's all-powerful. But these two are declared in scripture and we receive those truths by faith and the and is essential. Great power, great freedom, great joy found there. Let's pray.